0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. As I said a few moments ago, uh, the opportunity is afforded to me to look together at uh, a series of uh, sermons on the character of uh, Elijah, and in order to... uh, understand uh, what Elijah was doing what he was called to do it is essential that we learn something or know something about the background into which he found himself for many years Israel had been led by a king the first one was Saul who was followed by David who was followed then by Solomon and unlike Elizabeth the Who started off well who continued well and who ended well Solomon started off well but he ended very badly and he was dethroned he married foreign wives and he adopted the gods that they worshiped and when he was dethroned the kingdom of Israel was divided into two There was the part that continued to be known as Israel and it was ruled by a man called Jeroboam and there was the southern area of Judah ruled by Rehoboam. At that time, both these kingdoms continued to be characterized by idolatry and immorality. And as time went on, Israel was ruled by Ahab of whom it was said that Ahab, son of Omri, Did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those who were before him. Ahab married a woman called Jezebel, and she introduced the worship of Baal into society, and she changed the religious landscape of Israel. Previously, Jeroboam, who had been the first king of the divided kingdom, changed the center of worship from Jerusalem, where people had been used to having it as a center. It was changed to Bethel and Dan, and there he set up two golden calves in each of those locations. And even though Jeroboam committed grievous sin, it would be true to say that it was not so so bad as Ahab. And many years previously, you remember, Moses had given the children of Israel the commandments, and God had entered into a covenant with the people of Israel. Basically, the covenant was that provided that they followed him and followed his commandments, God would be with them, he would encourage them, he would help them, he would direct them. But if they turned away from the commandments, then God's blessing would be withdrawn and during that time of his blessing being withdrawn, all sorts of calamities would often befall the nation. And that may be that they would be captured or they may be made subject to larger nations, as so often became the case with the illustrations of Babylon, Babylon and Assyria. But it was into this context of spiritual departure that God called Elijah to work. And of Elijah were told certain things. We're told and we refer to it again he was a man just like us we're not told anything about his early life he lived at a time of desperate moral departure from God's Word he was commissioned to perform a most difficult task his life was characterized by separation from evil around him his ministry was characterized by miracles He believed passionately in the power of the living God, and he lived consciously and consistently in his presence. Now, it would be right to say, in the light of what we've discovered so far, that at this stage, Israel was going through one of its darkest days. And at that time, what God called Elijah to do was to basically storm unapologetically and dramatically into the court of King Ahab and proclaim God's judgment. His message was stark, it was concise, it was clear, it was to the point that there would neither be rain or dew for the next number of years except by my word. James 5 and 17 tells us That Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed fervently that it would not rain, and it did not for three and a half years. And so here's the historical background to the situation into which God was calling this man Elijah. And we discover that he himself was sustained and motivated by his understanding of God's word and his desire to follow it. He knew that God had been with Moses earlier and he knew that the covenant had been made in respect of faithfulness and unfaithfulness and he knew that at that time the people of Israel had acted unfaithfully. And what he was saying to Ahab was basically this, that you are now introducing and serving a dead God but I am serving the living and the true God. And at that time, God's glory was being sacrificed on the altar of idolatry caused by the action of the leadership of the nation at that that particular time. Ahab and his wife Jezebel had sown seeds of spiritual confusion and spiritual uncertainty. And in some respects, as we look at the situation in Ahab's day, It would be quite true to say that the situation hasn't changed much within our society today because in certain quarters of society and lamentably even maybe in certain areas of some church life there are moves afoot to undermine the Word of God by promoting the idea that it can be redefined or re-edited with regard to the society and the contemporary society in which we're living. And this, of course, is seen, as we've said before, in the whole issues of such things as gender identity, marriage, abortion, and the likes of it. Therefore, we have much to learn within our society today from the life of Elijah in his day and how that God honoured the stand that he took and displayed God's glory through the life that he lived amid the rampant disregard for God's standards. And it's interesting that eventually Ahab realized that what Elijah was saying was true. Now, you can imagine what happened at the beginning when Elijah went in and said what he did say. He would have been regarded by Ahab as that old prophet who doesn't know what he's talking about, some crackpot from a bygone age. However, as the fruitful and the productive valleys began to dry up, as they turned into dust pools as the streams and the, and the rivers started to evaporate as it were Ahab started to get concerned and what did he do he sent people out to scar the countryside in order to try and find Elijah and look at the some parallels that we have of Ahab today in our day or should we say first of all in the day of the New Testament Paul, when he was writing to the Romans, you remember what he said: they exchanged the immortal, the true God, for images replaced by God. And that was the case when we read uh, the book of Romans, chapter one, where we're told that uh, in that situation, in Romans one, we're told that in in that day and age, that people were were replacing the true God by false gods. And that's the same today within our society. There's nothing unique about what's happening today in our society. The image or the God of materialism, the God of educational prosperity, that's the God that very often people want to define themselves. Or they they want to to define themselves by, by changing their identity, their gender identity. They want to define themselves by what they consider to be the truth. And constantly that's happening. And isn't that so within society today as we look around. And what happened? Having addressed this situation in Elijah's day, we discover that God called Elijah to act and to do something about it. And if we look together at the life of Elijah, we discover two things that Elijah was required to do. There were times when he was told, go and show yourself. That means take an upfront step be involved in saying what is wrong and what should be done. And that took exceptional strength and courage. Think of just going into Ahab's palace and storming in with that particular message. It was not something that would have been easily accepted or wanted. But after he did something of great strength, God not only said, go show yourself, but very often he said to Elijah, go hide yourself. In other words, after a period of exhaustion, after a period of doing things that you don't want to do, there's the opportunity to rest and to relax. So I want us to look just at a few things this morning with regard to God's voice to Elijah and how he reacted. Well, the first thing was this, that the voice of God was heard. Elijah, as he was involved in whatever he was doing, was very clear in his own mind that God was speaking to him and that God was calling him to do something. Now, we believe and we've always taught that God doesn't change. So if he doesn't change, in many respects, if he spoke to Elijah, he's going to speak to you and me as well. And how does he speak to us? Well, he speaks to us through creation. I was saying this morning in the Comfort, that uh, I have a watch here and if I, if I took my watch off and if I, I dismantled it I took the face off it took the hands out of it took all the cogs and the wheels and the, all the bits and pieces and the bracelets and divided it up the links of the bracelet and if I put them onto a plate and then I put a, a bowl over the plate and I went away for a month and there was no draft or anything in the room When I would come back, what would I expect? I would expect to see the bits of that watch sitting exactly as I'd left them. If I went away for a year or five years or 50 years and stuck them in a cupboard and came back and opened the cupboard, what would I expect? I would expect to see it as I left it to suggest for one moment that all those bits and pieces of my watch could suddenly come together by themselves and re-establish themselves as a watch so I could put it on my wrist and I could look at it and I could see that the time was correct. It's unbelievable, just couldn't happen. But yet, isn't it true to say that within society today, there are many people and they think that the complexity of the universe and we must say that it's much more complex than any simple wristwatch, that the complexity of the universe came together in in precisely that sort of manner, that it came together without a creator behind it. It's a complete illogical nonsense that God, as the designer, the creator, the architect, called into being that which previously did not exist, And that's the God who wants to come to you and to me and to speak to us. Not some individual of insignificance or inconsequential, but the God of creation wants to speak to us through his creation, sometimes through our conscience, when we know that's the right thing to do or that's the wrong thing not to do. Or as he speaks to us through circumstances that we have in life. Or as he comes and as he speaks to us directly through his word, the pages of scripture. Elijah heard the voice of God. And we need to ask ourselves the question, does God ever speak to you? Does he speak to you as a non-Christian? Calling you to respond to the gospel. Does he speak to you as a believer? Calling you to be engaged with the gospel. There was the voice he heard, but also there was the promise that he received. God really rarely asks us to move in obedience without giving us a promise. What promise did he give to Elijah? He said, go to the brook and there you will drink and you'll be fed by the ravens. God's instruction was this and that's precisely what happened. Notice that the Lord guaranteed that Elijah would be receiving food day and daily. He didn't say there'll be enough for a week or a month. There'll be enough. When The ravens come in the morning. They'll give you enough for that part of the day. They'll come again in the evening. There'll be enough for that part of the day. But there wasn't going to be any more than that. Just enough for when he needed it. I wonder, do we receive and do we listen for the promises of God? Elijah quietly and humbly and confidently did just that. And what did that leads us to the third point. There was not only a voice heard, there was not only a promise received, but there was an obedience showed. Verse 5, So he did what God told him to do. What does Jesus tell those who are his children to do? He said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Are we obedient? Because if you notice Elijah's obedience, Elijah's obedience was active. He went. It was prompt. He went there and then. It was complete. He did exactly what God wanted him. And he did it unquestionably. He didn't ask a lot of questions, ifs and buts and wherefores. In the New Testament, you remember when God spoke to Saul of Tarsus. You remember what his response was, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the answer they received was to do what he was to do, and he did it. And while Elijah promptly obeyed, God moved heaven and earth to fulfill his word. So we have the voice he heard, the promise he received, the obedience that he showed, but then there was the supply that he enjoyed. The ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and in the evening and were told he drunk from the brook. And this verse suggests, it's a short verse, it teaches a great deal about God. The source of what Elijah got was from God. I have commanded the ravens. God was sovereign even over nature. And he was using the natural means of, 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 the, of the ravens to collect the food and to take it To his servant. And there was a method of the supply. He got the supply through the ravens, through actually what was seemingly in those days considered to be an unclean animal. You know, I suppose I I think in a certain way, but it really makes me smile when God does things the way that we would normally object. And yet, God overrules. For, for for example, you know, if we're having a church committee meeting or a session meeting, and we decided how God would supply somebody with with something they needed, would we turn to the area that was normally considered an untouchable? That's what God did. The ravens were that particular breed of bird that were considered to be just completely untouchable. You wouldn't get involved with ravens at all. They're a dirty, filthy bird. But God used the unexpected. And there was a variety of supply. There was bread and flesh in the morning and the evening. And there was sufficient. There was sufficient to last for as long as he needed it. And you know, there was another thing we could say about the ravens. I'm not Say something. That I don't want to be misunderstood here. I'm not an animal lover in the sense that I don't have a whole row of pets at home. I have a friend and have six cats and four dogs. And you go into the house and hairs everywhere, and you know, just, just not my scene. Uh, um, my wife, in fact, said that when I would go, that she would replace me with a dog. Well, it meant that I was replaceable, as far as irreplaceable as far as any other human being was concerned, which was quite gratifying. But uh, let, let, her, let her wait till I go before she gets the dog, would be my view. But you know, God does supply. And I was just thinking about this the other day, we were sitting at home the other night, and uh, I said, to, um, "I said, you know, uh, we're going to have to start and soon." put on the, the wee wood burner at home. We'll start and use that at night. Uh, usually I would have I would lit in the evenings. I said, but you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said that coal had gone up greatly in price. And The other night I, I went in to get my car filled up with fuel. And that's normally where I'd bet the coal in these, these wee bags. And I said to Lady, how much is the coal now? And she said, well, I think maybe the last time you got it was seven pounds. It's now 16 pound 45. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's gone up considerably. And there are people, and we're hearing about it on the news, there are people who are going to have to make the choice between eating and hating. And what should the church be doing about that? what would the church have done in the days of its infancy where there were poor people in Jerusalem what did they say well they didn't say well we've got enough and we'll we'll manage and to part with them they were generous and what then did the pagan society say about the church see how these Christians love one another and what was the implication of all that That the church started to grow and that there was an impact made yes you know God wants there to be a sufficiency of supply not to meet our greeds but our needs I remember when I was growing up there was a family I don't know if I've told this story before but there was a family lived around the corner from us and there were eight children in the family And when the oldest son was 13 his father died and left eight children it was the days before there was a lot of handouts from social security etc and everybody had a meter in their house for electricity the wee man that read the meter would have come around every three months and the day that he came and read the meter in this house, he read the meter in the next house, in the next house, in the next He did the whole street. And then about a week later, there was a bill come out. And there was a person in that street, when the bill came out into her house, she knew that the bill would be going into the house of this family who had virtually nothing. And she would have crept out at midnight and put an envelope through the door of this house. This went on for many, many, in fact, years. And the woman in the house never knew where it came from until one night one of the wee boys was sick. And rather than being in bed at 12 o'clock at night, the woman was up tending to the wee boy and she heard an envelope drop in through the door of her letterbox and she ran to the door and looked out to see where it had come from Realized who had been leaving this money. But you know, that was Christian charity in the midst of economic turmoil. And God supplied that woman for years through the concern and the help of a neighbor. And she trusted God, this lady. And God never let her down. And God not let any of us down, regardless of the circumstances. But yet it could be that God uses us just as he used the ravens. And I suppose we could ask ourselves the question in the context of this, are you a raven for God? The supply that he enjoyed. And finally... There was the testing that they experienced what happened we're told that the brook dried up so I just sat there on his own with the interruption now and again every day with the ravens he probably thought I would like to have the company of others but for months and months and months this had gone on he was simply on his own at that time he was resting he was recuperating from the anxieties that he had as a consequence of having to go into the court of Ahab but then as he stayed there he would have noticed that the water was starting to run a bit thin the ravine was starting to dry up that may have had consequences too, eventually with regard to the ravens getting food and what did God say at that stage he said, go from there. He was tested, no doubt, for a while. He thought, things are going to be difficult for me. But God didn't let him down. Now, we're not going to look at the next half of 1 Kings 17 because I want to look at certain other areas of Elijah's life. But if you were to read the next half or the rest of that chapter, you would read how that God told him to go to the home of a widow the widow supplied him with all he needed and also at the same time during that time that he was there the widow's only son died and God used Elijah as his instrument to raise the son back to life again but we're not going to look at that because say, we want to go on to the next section but we discover that there was a time of testing as he sat at the brook as things started to evaporate But God wasn't going to let him down. Why? Because Elijah heard his voice. He accepted the promise that he received. He was obedient to God's voice. He enjoyed the supply, even as time went on, as he was tested. Maybe this morning, as we come here, and as we think about Elijah, Called by God to do a most difficult thing, in the most difficult of circumstances, at a time of a national turning away from God, how that He was prepared to stick out, as we would say, like a sore thumb. He was prepared to take a stand, and how that God blessed him, and encouraged him. And as I say we'll we'll see more about that, as the. Uh, the the night and next Sunday go on. Let's pray together.